Great, if you're here for the first time or you return, it's great to see Dan here, and um, it's uh, lovely to be able to gather. I just want to say what a joy it is to lead this church. I really do. It's a, genuinely, it's a joy. It has its moments, but it's a joy. Because it's about people, isn't it? It's the people of God. And, you know, the calling on my life has always has been for many, many years, ever since uh, the moments at university when I, I didn't actually feel like I wanted to be a vicar. My dad was a vicar. The last thing I wanted to be was a vicar. But it was like in my university days, I just had this moment when I just knew that God was calling me to to be involved in leading churches and to reach out for Jesus, to make a difference, to share truth. Uh, and um, this year, uh, you know, it's just, it, you could say just another year, but I think God has some amazing things in store. Last, last Sunday, I really felt there was a real sense of the presence of God. And I really sensed that actually we're getting, there's a real hunger bubbling away for us. This isn't reflected in congregations. I, I really do believe that. I think there's a real sense of people saying, I, I want more of God. Not just I need God, I want more of God. I'm hungry for him. And in a sense, part of the challenge as a leader is to sense what God is doing and try and listen to the Holy Spirit and, and have a go at trying to lead a church into those things of truth. And so just briefly, really, I wanted to just say these are sort of three things that as we prayed and we've been um, prophetically thinking about things that actually these are three things that want to focus on during this next year. It's based really around this verse that you might have heard before, but it's the last um, thing that Jesus said, which is from Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is why we're here. This is the commission. It's not the, you know, the suggestion, it's the commission. Then Jesus came to them, gathering his disciples before he went to be with his Father in heaven. And he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he already said to them, you walk and you go in my authority. So the authority of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. There are three things that, if you like, I really sense we're going to focus in on this year. Is this not work? Obviously not. Oh, like magic. Firstly, go. My heart. And I don't think we're here there at all, is that we would be a faith-sharing culture. That the faith that we know and we love, many of us have been around this faith for a long time, will be so much part of us that we cannot but spill it over and share with others. And, and, and we live in a culture that so needs Jesus. But we need to help one another in this. And so part of this year is about creating a faith-sharing culture an environment where we see people regularly coming to know Jesus. You know, I want to tell you very briefly in my connect group, there's someone who's been part of our Alpha for a year and a half, and he put off becoming a Christian for a year and a half, but at Christmas he suddenly reached the point, he said, I give in. I asked Jesus to come into my life. From a Hindu background, no connection with church before, but he's come to faith. I want to hear more stories about that. I want us to be talking about more of those things. Are you not expecting for that? We want that culture, that sense that God is still moving and changing people's lives. We're going to put training in place. We're going to, every Saturday morning, 
James and I and a few others are going to go out. Please don't say, oh, it's great. The vicar's lovely. He's very good with people. He'd be great to go out and do that. How much can we learn by just going out and sharing the love of Jesus? So firstly, a faith-sharing culture. And uh, so look out for some stuff on that. Secondly, oops, secondly, grow. Go into all the world and make disciples. I long for us to be a Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. You know, churches across the world that are experiencing incredible persecution for being people of truth in their culture. Take Iran, for example. That church was probably around in the the hundreds at the beginning of the last century. It is now almost a million in that country. Many of them underground church, but they... Oh, disciples, making disciples, making disciples. They're creating a culture of that. Somehow we've lost some of that. And many of us, I want to help us and encourage us how we can help one-to-one encourage people to become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. Discipleship is not a course. Discipleship is a way of life, following Jesus. And we can all help one another. So secondly, I long for us to grow and be disciples. And thirdly, Love. What does it truly mean? We talk about a compassion ministry, but what does that mean? Is it a nice feeling? Oh, isn't it good we have a food bank? It's so lovely. You know our church has a food bank. Isn't it great we have a cap? It's really good. Do you know what I mean? I'm not being... But it's so easy to drop into that, isn't it? Thinking there's something going on. What does it truly mean to love those that are vulnerable? What does it truly mean? to draw alongside the lost, the least, and the lonely. And I know for myself, my heart needs to go with that. And so I'm asking the question really, are there more things? Are there, there are increasing areas that we can show compassion and love for the lost, the least, the lonely? And ask the question, why do we do what we do? Does it come out of a heart or does it come out of a feeling that we ought to? So those three things are really gripping me at the moment. We're, as a church, you know, I... I think the problem with the church is that we've become an institution very often. And, and, and probably in many ways, particularly the church that we're part of, the Church of England, in many ways operates like an institution very often. You know what? It was, we were never meant to be an institution. We're a movement. I don't know about you, but get excited when I use the term movement. We're a movement of God that we're part of. That's what the church is. A bunch of people who follow a Jesus who loves them and knows them and empowers them and gives them authority to change the world. This has been a challenging week for the Church of England. It really has. Whether you've seen the news or not, uh, there's been a process going on in the Church of England called Living in Love and Faith, looking at the whole areas of identity and relationships um, sexuality and marriage. And uh, the bishops came out with a report. Some of it's leaked earlier in the week, and then it came out with a report on Friday and made suggestions to what's called the General Synod, which uh, is the sort of church's parliament, really, that is a mixture of bishops and clergy and lay people who make uh, decisions on things. And so they were given some recommendations by the bishop. And I just wanted to share, really, before we uh, wade into Genesis briefly. Um, about a number of things that they said um, and have shared so far. They acknowledge rightly that uh, for, many, for, for a long time that we have not been good in how we've dealt 
with those that are working out their sexual identity. With the LGBT community, we've been poor. And that was, you know, that's been rightly. We need to, uh, to really be clear. We've not been good. We've not been as welcoming as we could be. And we've been poor in those areas. Um, but what they recommended is a few things. One is that the basic doctrine of the Church of England, uh, which is that marriage is between a man and a woman, is to stay the same. Uh, I think that is a deeply biblical truth, and uh, I think that's really good that they said that. But they've also suggested some prayers uh, of thanks and blessing for those that are same-sex attracted. Uh, And that brings real challenges, because uh, we're teaching, saying we teach one thing, but actually in practice, are we saying that actually we bless those things that are not what we teach? And I think there's a real confusion there, personally. And, um, but what I want us to do, invite us really to pray, and to pray for the General Synod, which is a couple of weeks' time. Pray into that. Pray for wisdom. Pray for truth. Uh, pray for us as a church as we seek to be a voice to our nation. I want to be up front with you as a church family as well. You need to know that as a leadership team, uh, which is the staff and the uh, the core leadership team plus the PCC. Uh, we did write to the bishop, our local bishop, uh, before Christmas, and we unanimously stated our position, which I've shared before in the church, which is that we believe that marriage is between uh, a man and a woman. And we shared that position, uh, and we uh, wanted him to know that that was true before the, all the discussions were happening. And so we await what Synod decides, if you like, And I will get back to you with some of the responses to that and what that might mean uh, for us as a church. So as we uh, talk about going and growing and loving, we also got to be real about where we're at and what we... You know, God's plan is still the same for his church. God's desire is to see these things happen, to see his kingdom established. And we're not going to pull back from that. And we're not going to pull back as well from sharing... Truth, you know, these are huge questions that we're talking about. I'm not underestimating the challenge they are. And many of it affects many of you and your families in a variety of ways. And we need to be people that grapple with the Bible in relation to these things. That's why we're doing Genesis, actually. Because, actually, if you want to know the answers to the ethical questions of life, go to Genesis 1-4. to They're all contained within that. Who we are, what's the point, where are we going. Questions to do with rest and work and Sabbath and... uh, sin and selfishness and all those things we are going to grapple with those over these next few weeks and let's just pray Lord Jesus um, I just share with you now my thanks that you are the head of the church and that you give an authority to your people to search for your truth and know your truth and Lord thank you that your truth sets us free Lord, I pray you would take the few words I share now and you would use them for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can turn to page one or two or three, you can probably find your way into that on your Bible. Um, I'm a great fan of using the index, but this one, I've got to say, go to the front, okay? Uh, So Genesis 1, we're looking at that and we're going to spend a bit of time in these verses 26 to 31. Um, 
I've heard already that you've had some really good times in the Connect groups, those that are in Connect groups, grappling with uh, creation last time. Uh, Stuart Nichols very helpfully uh, did some stuff with that, and also using some of the stuff from the Bible Project. So um, I'm going to try my best to, uh, to wade into this. I mean, the first 25 verses, the wonderful thing was that uh, in those six days, God created the earth, it says, and it was good. Uh, I know we've got a couple of people in this church. I know there's a couple of people who are just about to have babies. And there's a sense here, it's a bit like, um, you know, uh, a, a dad, quite often it's the dad, the dad and mum, but dad getting the, getting the room ready, you know, preparing for this baby that's coming, might give it a paint, might get it sorted out, might clear out the junk and put it in the bedroom, whatever it might be, get the crib ready. There's that sense that God is like preparing creation in the first six days and he's preparing it for the crown of creation which is mankind who arrives as we see in verse 26 when he says these incredible words then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all those things and We begin immediately as the crown of creation arrives on the scene. We begin in this moment where we recognize that what does it mean to be human? Why am I here? It begins at that moment. We have this beautiful vision, really. As the the pace um, uh, of, of creation zipped by in those first 25 verses, 26, there's almost like pace slowing down, deliberately focusing in on why are we here? And by verse 31, as we see that moment, which is differentiated from the other six days, other, um, yeah, five days, sorry, five to six days, anyhow, it says, it was very good with mankind, which is a statement in itself. God creates lots of things in Genesis 1, but only mankind is made in the imago Dei, the image or likeness of God. An image is a reflection. It is, if you like, a mirror, copy. And humans, as John Calvin once said, humans, we are a mirror who reflects something of God into the earth. It's quite a thing, isn't it? Stop and think about it. We are the image of God. Look around at the people around you. They are the image of God. They are the image of God. Now, however weird you might feel that is, and however weird the person sitting next to you, I'm sure with some of you who are married, you might think that anyway. But the point is, is it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, mankind. It's a beautiful thing. I just want to draw out three things, beginning with R. Not or, R. Ah, ah, to help us now. Firstly, resemblance. It's fascinating, isn't it? Kids resemble their parents. This is from my wife's 50th birthday. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know, when, even when they're small, even when they're born, isn't it? A little baby comes on the scene, immediately they start thinking, oh, I think they're like mum, or they're like dad, or they've got 
big ears. I mean, we have massive ears in our family, so quite often it's, I have huge ears. If you plug me in, you get Sky TV. You know, I mean, they're huge. I can receive from anywhere. We all have different eccentricities within that, but there's that resemblance there, that word resemblance. And in a sense here, it's saying we, we bear the image of God simply because he made us. He made us that way, not because of what we do, but who we are. And it is very good. Yet, of course, we know that that image is, is marred. But it's interesting that even after sin, people still bear the image of God, which is totally good, of course. Sin might warp it, but it doesn't eradicate it. Uh, Genesis 9, verse 6, it's saying about murder. It says, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And in James 3.9, it says, with the tongue, talking about the way we speak, we have to be careful with the, the tongue. We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the image of God. It's a real challenge, isn't it? The things we say, do we realize we are attacking the very image of God? We're attacking the very people who have been created by God, which should affect how we are and who we are. So what does this mean? Firstly, whether you know it or God, but I'm saying it again, what it's saying in this, God has said, you are precious. You are precious. And some of us need to be reminded that we are precious. Because a lot of the time we're told we're not. We don't look the right thing. We don't do the right thing. We don't feel the right thing. The first thing it says, you are made in the image of God. Number one, you are precious. Secondly, you are valuable. And we need to hear that as well. But because of that, all life has value. Therefore, all life should involve dignity. And that dignity, as it's expressed itself, should affect our attitude. Our attitude towards people we disagree with, their attitudes and lifestyles. How do we look at them? We have to look at them as made by God and loved by God. When I come across a homeless person, I don't know about you, but it's always the biggest challenge, isn't it, very often? They're not like me. They're not going through the same things as me. Every time I do walk past, I get a, what should I do? But number one, I, I, we're called to love them. We're called to love them. However we might, whether we stop or do anything, I leave that up to each one of us. Or the mum's struggling to control her shouting kid in the supermarket, like it was the other day. God, I love them. Because they're made in the image of God, they're precious. The mentally... Um, challenged, unhealthy, those who are different. A big passion for me at the moment is the unborn child. It grieves me. It grieves me so much how we treat the unborn child. They are precious because they're made in the image of God. We have a resemblance of the creator God. Of course, we see this in Jesus. The thing about Jesus, he always had time for people, particularly for the marginalized. Someone once asked Dallas Willard, who's a theologian, how would you describe Jesus? And, of course, we'd always come up, if I was to ask that question of you, how would you describe Jesus? 
And you probably come up with a variety of different statements. And he thought about it for a moment. He said, relaxed. I love that, you know. Jesus was always relaxed. He always had time. Whereas for me, I just biz, biz past me. I've probably even done it with you. Someone the other day told me, I saw you the other day in the spires. You walked straight past me. I thought, yes, probably that's true. It wasn't deliberate. But the fact is, are we relaxed enough to care enough? Whether it's walking past people or whatever, the marginalized, the most challenged. They were the people Jesus loved. His worst things were said to those that didn't have the time to acknowledge that people are valuable. We have resemblance of God himself, the creator. And that should rip into our attitude. Maybe actually as a result of it, the challenge to say, okay, I'm going to begin to um, give time and space to become an advocate for the vulnerable. It might be like a number of people here do in something like the food bank. We're still looking for a food bank leader, someone who can provide vision and, and, and guidance in relation to that. It might be helping alongside the guys on Thursdays at Thursday Fellowship. I know they're always looking for people to help. Just, it might sound silly, but just to drive people to it in different ways. You're drawing alongside the vulnerable and the weak, and you're saying you're valuable enough for me to help you with this. It might be to, to advocate in some ways, to work alongside the debt support. It might be advocate for the unborn child or those caught up in sex trafficking or whatever it might be because I'm saying, Lord, give me your eyes, the eyes that you have made because I am the image of God to see people in that way. So we have a resemblance, verse 26. We're made in the image of God. Secondly, we have relationship. We're made for relationship. It says here, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, verse 27. Male and female, he created them. We were made for relationship. It goes on to say in verse 8 that they blessed them as he spoke of, of men and women in that way. There was a diversity in human relationship, male and female. That is a crucial statement, that is, that biologically in ourselves there is a difference of male and female, which speaks quite challengingly into our culture. But it states there that they were male and female, as I said before, equal, completely equal, but different. It's important in a culture that often says, we're all equal and actually we're all the same. There is a differentiation there between male and female. Not just biologically, but in a number of areas. And it says here about a creative coming together. And this interesting phrase here, I think one of the connect groups, somebody came back to me and asked this question. It says here, this strange thing. God said um, <clears throat> and spoke creation into being for the first few days. And then it said this strange statement. Verse 26, let us make mankind in our image. What's happened? We've moved from the singular to the plural. What's that all about? Well, the interesting thing is that then we begin the first hint. It's not the direct statement, but the first hint, hint about God is one, but he is three persons. His personality is expressed in three ways. God the creator, God the father, Verse 2, it even has mentioned the Holy Spirit already in Genesis 2. 
hovering over the earth. And of course, the Son, John 1, 18, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a plurality. There's a, if you like, a, a, those, there's, there's relationship. God is a God of relationship, you know. He didn't just, um, you know, family wasn't a made-up thing that sort of happened that we thought would be a nice construct. It's right at the heart of God, relationship, in how it's expressed. We were made for relationship primarily with God. That is the cry of his heart. He created us in that beautiful way we read here for relationship with him. And actually, I want to suggest, and this is the cry of our heart, this is why we go, is we want people to come back into that place of relationship. Because if they do not have that relationship with God, then they exist, and they have a right to exist completely, obviously, but they won't discover the true reason of why they're made out. They will never really know their true identity, I believe, out of relationship with God, for they are made with that. As Augustine said, Thou hast created us in thyself, for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And we see this expressed, this relational thing, obviously, later on with Jesus in his baptism. When uh, God the Father speaks, when the Holy Spirit comes up like a dove, and Jesus is baptized. We are made for community. That's why it is so unique and so incredible. You know, we live in uh, such a, you know, this moment here, church, which is, means people. The ecclesia, the people gathered, but um, is a unique place. Uh, there's not many places in society in this country where such a mixture of people come together, different ages, different backgrounds, different um, perspectives. You come together on a regular basis. It just doesn't happen much. You got groups, don't you, in different areas. You know, even if football, a football, football bunch come together. I mean, we went to one recently. It's not, not very diverse, particularly if you're in the Newcastle end, which I was a couple of weeks ago at Arsenal. It was not diverse. Certain age group, whatever. We have something really beautiful that can show this community that we're called into, into relationship. So... Um, it's interesting, I did some research into the, the church at the moment, myself. Obviously, I had lots of time on my hands. I went through the whole of church suite and, um, and, and worked out, for example, the fact that 29% of those who would be, be core, if you like, in this church are single. That's important to know that. Uh, and single for a variety of reasons. But that is a challenge where Carol and I and we're trying to work on how, what does that truly mean? Because we want to love and support those that are single. If we're truly going to be loving, we need to work out what does that mean for those who are single. We can easily talk family in a way that actually can be exclusive of those that are single. Also worked out that uh, almost a third of our church now will be from um, non-white, and I use that term, probably in the wrong way, but what I mean from different backgrounds. That's glorious. And it's a challenge. And working out that, I want, I want to long to be a truly intercultural church. That is a mark of God's desire here. We are created, male and female, together to be community. 
Not just nice, but actually fundamental to who we have. Learning how to serve one another. Just very briefly, why not between now and Easter, think of someone else even here that you've not invited around for a meal to come around for a meal. And maybe think of a neighbor who lives near you, invite them around for a meal. That is the basis of community and relationship. So resemblance, relationship, and i rush on a bit to verse 28, uh, where it talks about rule. The Bible is packed with images of rule. Someone once said this, the rulers of the ancient Near East set up images and statues of themselves in places where they exercised or claimed to exercise authority. The images represented the ruler himself as symbols of his presence of authority. What we have, as we were saying uh, earlier, we have been given, it says here, if you noticed in those verses that were read earlier, that we have been given the opportunity to rule and to reign. It says, be fruitful and multiply or increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, what the terminology is often used for us, we have got a cultural mandate. Just as the commissioning of Jesus is a, is a court, it's a mandate to reach out. We actually have authority in God right from the beginning of Genesis. A calling on our lives to be fruitful and multiply and to rule and reign in the earth. Now we know that's been distorted by sin. But our work, if you like, our mandate is from God is not in a domineering way to steward our planet, to steward our world. And he will work with us in this gift and enable us. I might say in terms of relationships, um, how do we do that? Uh, Clearly, it's not saying that every person... Um, interesting enough, it talks here about um, uh, being fruitful and multiply, which obviously means that people get together and have kids and grow and multiply. Two things I want to say from that. One is it doesn't mean that everybody has to be married to be fruitful and multiply. Because otherwise Jesus and Paul would be out of the picture of making any difference if they were single. It's not saying that. But it is saying that actually kids are a blessing. (laughs) We don't always think that. But kids are a blessing. What it's saying is our mandate is to bless them and enable them to be all that they can be. To fulfill his purposes in and through their lives. And maybe that's a challenge to us, those of us that are older with our kids leaving home as grandparents, that actually the next generation, part of our mandate is to enable them to be blessed, to be a blessing to all they can be. You know, we joke about the, uh, the holiday club coming up. You know, what an amazing opportunity to have some children there and for them to receive the blessing of Jesus in those times and meet Jesus. Many people I know who became Christians at camps and at times like that. But there are other ways that we seek to encourage that. A marriage and family. But all of that, what that means is an outpost for God's rule and reign. An example of his goodness and life. And the word subdue gives the impression of domination. What it's saying here is that we are called to steward God's creation. That's why I'm really pleased that we're starting to talk about those things. Last term, 
uh, we talked about creating this thing called creation care and working through what that means. So look, three things. Resemblance, relationship, rule. But of course we are a paradox. These are the beautiful visions of what God wants, that we should resemble him, that we should be in beautiful relationship with one another, and that we should rule in a way that is not domineering, but is serving and enabling. The problem is we are a paradox, as we know, because actually we live in a tension, the fact that the image of God is still in us, but it's being warped by sin. We're going to find out about that in Genesis 3, but the reality is that we have been warped by sin. As Mark Twain once wrote, mankind is the only animal that can blush and needs to. The fact is, is that we mess up and we've got it wrong. But of course, it's not the end of the story. God loves his creation. That he loved the world so much, his creation, that he gave his only son. And Jesus is the only perfect image of God. We are images of God, but we are tainted. Jesus was the only perfect image. Image of God. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Only he had the perfect relationship with God. Only Jesus represents God in perfect service and obedience. Where we have failed, he has succeeded. And the good news is that even though we didn't deserve it, he came and granted peace with God so that we could come back into that relationship with him. That we could be restored to all that we were created to be in Genesis 1. It's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect image of God. And so my final verse, really, I just want to hold before us as we pray, is this. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, we have been restored. The restoration process is happening in Jesus. Three things I want to say. Number one, we are precious. And if you'd value some prayer for that, just to be reminded, you are precious. Secondly, we are called to community. In all the challenges that is, we are called to real community. And that is my desire. We would know real community. Equal but different. Let's set the bar high about what we can be. Let's break the usual cultural norms that can be about church. Let's be a place that's the most encouraging place. I can't wait to get to church because they're so nice, but not just in a nice way. They encourage me. They build me up. They challenge me sometimes. But they enable me to be more like what God created me to be. And finally, we have a cultural mandate to steward the world, be part of God's restoration plan. These are fascinating times to live, but great times because God is at work. Just to say, in relation to what I was saying earlier, I meant to say it earlier. If you've got any questions in relation to some of the things I was talking about, about the Church of England or whatever, I'm always open for a coffee or a chat to talk about any of those things.